The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. My son just turned 13 yesterday. And uh, not to embarrass him, but it reminded me of when I was 13. And my father, when I was 13, was working in oil and gas pipelining, which essentially meant mullah. My father earned a lot of coin. We wanted for nothing. And because my father had a lot of money, uh, he was away a lot. You know, he was away for four weeks, sometimes 16 weeks. Uh, The most I ever remember him being away in a pipeline was nine months at a time. Uh, but what that meant was is we got, we got Muller for pocket money because that's how dads are away kind of help bridge the gap <laughs> of feeling bad for, for not being present. And uh, my parents would always give us pocket money. And pocket money, some of it was uh, just because we are Lewis kids and we're part of the family. Other times we had to do jobs to get more money. And uh, our, our bank account, I remember we had a, a Commonwealth Dolomite account. Uh, some of you remember these. Uh, and I remember just seeing like the, the figures just going up and I was, I was at the point where uh, this is, let's just say it was a while ago when I was 13, uh, I had uh, over $1,000 in my Commonwealth Dolomite account and I was, I was pumped. I was dreaming of the car I was going to buy, the girl who I was going to drive around in that incredible Datsun uh, or Holden Gemini, you know, whatever it might have been that I was looking forward to. And one day, something happened in the pipeline industry and my father lost his job. And so we went from having lots of moolah to having zero. And so a month went by and often when my dad was in between pipelines, it it wouldn't be unusual for him to not work for three months at a time because they've earned a lot of money, they're in between pipelines, whatever. Uh, But this went for three months, then this went to six months, then this went to nine months. And then it led my parents to have to start dipping in to my Commonwealth Dolomite account, of which they made a very, very big promise. That promise was, we will repay you all that we use. My brother is over here to your left and my right. He is currently having trigger moments. His anxiety is going up because... Not only was it my account they dipped into, it was his account they dipped to. And because he was older than me, he had more than $1,000. Uh, and they started dipping in, dipping in, dipping in. And we were just watching it go from this to this to this to one day. We have nothing left in our account. And my parents promised me that they would pay me back. When I was 13, a promise delayed felt like a promise denied. But it's been three months, it's been six months, it's been a year. And listen, it ended up becoming a promise tonight. Uh, My parents essentially went, look, we're just going to do the great, you know, the great reset. Let's just, let's just start again. (laughs) To which I still, as you can tell, have not recovered from and is why I'm still in therapy dealing with the, the agony of my parents and when I see them at Christmas every year and they just give me a Christmas card. They don't even put in 10 bucks in that thing to repay me. I'm still waiting for like, where's the thousand dollar check? The story that we are in, this story of Exodus, essentially is a story of a promise delayed. And how do the people of God live in a time when the promise that has been made has not yet come to fruition? How do these ancient people living in an ancient land hold on to the promises of God? 
And in many ways, when we, when we read a book like the Bible, it's an ancient book. And maybe you're here, you're not a Christian, and you sometimes are asking, like, what does this ancient story have to say to us? Well, these ancient people living in an ancient land in an ancient time have a lot to tell modern people. Highly educated, scientific, wealthy people. Because no matter where you are, no matter what time you live, no matter what your journey there will always be a gap between what God has said and when that becomes your reality. And how do people live trusting the living, promise-making, promise-keeping God? The idea of exodus means departure. Is this still on? It is a story of this great departure, a story of a journey where we see people move from slavery to salvation. And in many ways, we're calling this the gospel according to Moses, because if you're going to understand the New Testament and Jesus, you have to understand the book of Exodus, because the book of Exodus is pointing towards the great deliverance, the great deliverer, the one who would ultimately save and rescue not just a people, but the whole world. And so the question for us is, How do we live in the in-between of the already and the not yet? Where God has promised us, and yet that fulfilled promise is still on the outskirts. And so we're going to walk through this book over a few months. I encourage you, uh, for those of you who are note takers, we've got journals. Grab them, use them. They're free. Bring your Bibles. uh, Get into your groups. Talk, pray. But ultimately, I, I encourage you to learn. Learn from this story. Learn about God and who He is. Learn about what it means to be His people, His children, and how we are to relate to Him. And so the story begins with the word actually, and. In in the English translations, uh, it always says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Okay, but actually in the Hebrew, it starts with and. But because no story, no sentence should ever start with and, it's hard to translate. But the idea is, is and is supposed to indicate something has come before. This is not a new story. This is a continuing story. It's supposed to point us back to, okay, well, we need to go back. And so the first book of the Bible is called Genesis. It's the beginnings. Exodus comes after that. So for us to get into the story, we actually need to spend just a few minutes going back and looking at what is going on in the beginning, in basically season one before we actually tap into Season two. And so if you go to the beginning of the book, God starts to create everything and give it life. And so the first thing we see is that God is the great life giver. And in the beginning, the people, Adam and Eve, are in this land. They're in this place. And they are a people. They're the first kind of family, the first people in this land. And they are told to be fruitful and multiplied Verse 28 of uh, chapter 1 says, And God blesses them and says to them, Be fruitful and multiply. This is kind of the creation mandate. And these themes of being fruitful, of multiplying, of being blessed, are all through the book of Exodus. But this is where they start. They start in Genesis, at the very, very beginning, in the very, very first chapter of the very, very first book of the story. You get to chapter 3, and then we see that these people in this land disobey God. They, rather than listening to Him, staying close to Him and trusting Him, 
They listen to another and it leads them to make a decision where they no longer trust God and they sin. And for the first time in the story, we see sin and death enter into the story. They move away from God. And it's tragic. But it happens so quickly. But in Genesis 3, which is like this depressing, like, oh, what is going wrong in the story? We have this promise. Genesis 3.15, this is God outlining to them the the curse and what's going to happen now in light of this. And God actually speaks to this serpent, the one who deceives them. And he says this in verse uh, 3.15 of chapter 3. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and he shall bruise your heel. Theologians call this the Proto-Evangelion. It's the idea of it's the first gospel promise in the whole Bible. So you have life and joy and peace, sin and death kind of come into the story. And then God's like, but here, let me give you a promise that there is something coming. There is an offspring. There is one who will come and he's going to ultimately destroy that serpent who deceived and led and helped lead sin and death into the world. And then as you move on in Genesis, you get the idea that God is going to continue doing this through a particular people. And so in chapter 12, God comes to Abram and he says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you or through you. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here we have a promise that there is going to be a new land with a new people who will have a new offspring that will bless the world. And there is this incredible promise. This gets repeated in chapter 15. It gets uh, repeated in chapter 17. And then from Abraham, it gets repeated to his son Isaac. And then from Isaac, it gets repeated to his son Jacob. And then from Jacob, it gets repeated to his son Joseph. And so there's this constant promise making that God continues to do. And the plot line of Genesis is just following this family, this seed, this offspring. What's going to happen with this promise? And last year or the year before, I can't remember because it's been COVID. But somewhere in our recent history, uh, we did the story of Joseph for a number of weeks. And Joseph, his brothers hate him, jealous of him. They throw him in a ditch and he gets taken and exiled into Egypt. And it's this horrendous story of betrayal and hurt and lies and deceit. Yet it's this incredible story that God is faithful to keep his promises. And in amongst as Joseph is exiled, God has a plan because a famine is arising. And through the means of God's providence, Joseph eventually becomes the 2IC of this nation. God gives him a dream. He's able to save not only Egypt, but also the family, his family back in Israel who have betrayed him. He's able to save them from dying out. And so they come to, Israel, they come to Egypt. And this is what we see here. They are now in Egypt. 400 years have now passed from the end of Genesis 
where Joseph finishes at the end of the story. He, he says to his brothers, hey, listen, guys, what you meant against me for evil, God meant for good so that, we could bring, so that he could bring about salvation to all the people. 50, 24 to 25, Joseph says to his brothers, hey, I'm about to die, but God will visit you. He will bring you out of this land. That promise of land remains that he swore to Abraham, he swore to Isaac, he swore to Jacob. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, God will surely visit you and you shall carry my bones up from here. And so that's the backstory. And then bang, Exodus 1 and... These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons and Joseph was already in Egypt. That's actually a repeat of nearly word for word what's put in uh, Genesis 20, uh, 46 to kind of go, this is who comes to Egypt. But that 70 people has grown. It says in verse 6, Joseph died, all of his brothers and all that generation. Verse 7, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew, grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Do you see the language of promise? Here has been this promise of becoming a nation and multiplying and growing as a people. They're they're in Egypt, yes, they're not in the land, but there's this nation forming. By the time you get to Exodus 19, it tells us that there are over 600,000 men, not including women and children. Okay, sometimes we like to say there's something in the water in LCC with the amount of children y'all popping out. Okay, these guys are like destroying our, you know, sort of reputation, okay? They're just, they're just like manic. Kids are coming everywhere. It's wonderful. Some of you don't know how to handle that joke. That's okay. Just ignore it and move on, okay? But there's also this sense in which, yeah, but, but we're not in Egypt yet. Uh, we're, not in, we're not in the promised land yet. We're still in Egypt. So it's like this is happening, but it's not being realized. We're still in Egypt, And then as always, and if you are new to faith or you're not yet a Christian, this will be your story too, is that whenever you hold on to the promises of God and keep fulfilling the plans that God has for you, problems will come. I would love to tell you that when you become a Christian, it's just all flowers and butterflies and bubbles and oh man, I wish it was, but it's not. Problems arise always throughout the beginning of the story all the way through to the end. The only time when it's going to be flowers and bubbles and butterflies, which I've really actually, that doesn't make me want to go to heaven that much. But think about it. There's lots of sport. There's lots of meat. Okay, yes, yes. All right, good. We're there. Okay, now I'm excited. Um, There's always going to be problems. So here's the problem straight away in the story. Verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. 400 years have now passed. Pharaoh has died. Joseph and that generation have all died out. And they haven't kept the story of what Joseph did to actually keep the Egyptians alive and save them as a nation. That's died out. This new king is threatened by this ethnic minority and so has to make a political move 
And Pharaoh comes up with a solution that will solve his immigration problem and also strengthen the labor force problem. How will he do that? Well, he's going to do one of the things we looked at last week. He's going to subjugate them. Here's how you deal with a problem with an ethnic minority that's growing. Uh, We are going to work them to the bone and we are going to enslave them. We are going to push them down. Look at the words. He says to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and mighty for us. Some commentators say it's possible that the, the, the people of God, the Israelites, are actually more in number than the Egyptians. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape the land. He doesn't want them to escape the land. He wants to keep them. They're a cheap labor force. So therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens and they built for Pharaoh store cities of Python and Ramesses. So in his shrewdness or wisdom, he says, hey, these guys are growing. They're a threat to us. If another nation comes in who wants to be against us and they kind of don't like us, they might join with them and then we're going to be overthrown. We cannot let that happen. So let's push them down. Let's work them to the bone. Let's afflict them. And then that will stop them from breeding, from multiplying and increasing. So what here will come of the promises of God in the face of this problem and this opposition? I love verse 12. (laughs) But the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So Pharaoh's first plan is working against him. I don't want them to multiply. I want them to to shrink. So if we work them hard, we put them in this kind of, hey, you're building this, you're working hard, then maybe they'll actually stop multiplying as a people. But actually what he doesn't realize, when you start to push a people down, you know what they start to do? They start to join together. So his very plan to disrupt this people from becoming this strong mighty nation is only reinforcing because when you all feel pressure what do we do we lean in when we go through struggles and there's pressure on us we lean into one another so all he's doing is reinforcing god's plan with his shrewdness his wisdom is stupidity in comparison to god's wisdom god's like okay you do that my people are going to grow they're going to multiply The enemy's plans are simply tools in the hand of God. And they may not be in the promised land yet, but they're becoming more of a people, more of a nation. One commentator said, Thus the new Pharaoh was the original rebel without a clue. The more he made God's people suffer, the more God's people triumph. God always has a redemptive purpose for his people in light of the problems in which they face. God is doing things. Over the past month, I've had an incredible opportunity to speak to pastors from all over the world. And do you know what keeps happening in every nation? The church of Jesus Christ is growing. They don't know how, they don't know why, and I can tell you why. Because God's promises cannot be thwarted. Even in the pandemic, You can't stop the church from growing. You can't stop people from coming to faith. You cannot stop God because God is sovereign and he is the true king. Pharaoh is no king. 
So Pharaoh now has to increase the problem. So he cracks the whip even harder. And with each crack, Pharaoh strikes another blow against God's people. So verse 13 says, So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now, what's interesting here is the Hebrew word that is used here for works as slaves is uh, ab- it's obadah, I think is how you say it. It's the idea that we're not just working and we're not just laboring, and we're not just slaving, but we're actually slaving and working and serving for the king. And it's this increasing development throughout the Bible where it basically tells us that any time you do something for someone other than God, it's like slavery to your soul because you were made for God and made to work for God. If you want to enjoy your work, your occupation, here's the best way to do it. Think about who you are doing it for every day. And you can have a good day in your workplace. Even workplaces which you you don't enjoy, you get anxious going to that workplace. If you would pause for five minutes and walk into that building, walk into that meeting, walk into that school, walk into that hospital, whatever it is, and go, God, this is yours. And you have called me today to be your child working for you. You can have joy in your job. This is good news because many of us don't work in good workplaces. Many of us don't like the culture. Many of us don't appreciate the pressure. But in the Bible, it's always saying, hey, whatever you do, do it, do it for Jesus. And that will actually be life-giving to you. Think about this. When Moses, in the, in, in the coming weeks, we're going to see he's going to go to Pharaoh and he's going he's to say what to Pharaoh? How many here have seen the Prince of Egypt? Okay. Anyone want to go back to Heston days? We got any? Yeah, there's a few. Okay, a few of you don't want to put up your hand. It's kind of revealing too much. Okay, that's fine. Um, in, in the Prince of Egypt, what does Moses come and say to Pharaoh multiple times? What is it? Let my people go. And that's all you get. As we get there, you're going to find out that's not all that he says. He says, let my people go so that they may worship and serve me, not you, Pharaoh. And there is this tension, this, this, this kind of opposition between God and Pharaoh. Who will people serve? Who will people worship? Who will people work for? And Pharaoh is saying, you work for me. And the people of God are going to say, no, we do not. We work for him. Everything we do is for him. He is our master. He is our king, not Pharaoh. Today, you can go onto Google and you'll see in the Egyptian temple of Edfu, Uh, There is these remaining inscriptions from the time of Ramesses uh, where it's depicting this God registering slaves for Pharaoh. It was this reminder for the Egyptians over the years that would come. It's like, hey, everyone works for the God called Pharaoh. We come to another problem. This doesn't quite work. So again, Pharaoh's plan is not working, so he has to up the ante. So now he moves from subjugation to execution. He moves from slavery to slaughter. Verse 15 says, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, When you serve as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. 
Now, why the boys and not the girls? Well, you've got to remember, he feels threatened by these people as they grow because they're going to become a military power. So he could either get rid of just the boys or just the girls, but in his mind, he thinks, well, if we let these men grow up, they're going to become warriors. So we can't have that, so we need to get rid of them. And so what are we going to do with the women? In his mind, how long until there are no men, and then what do we do with the women? He, in his mind, has a picture for what he's going to do with women. He's going to crack the whip on them and enslave them, and they're going to be the ones who are still building the brick and mortar. He is not going to look after them. He's not going to care for them. He's going to enslave them and continue to enslave them. So God has promised that these people will be in a land... And Pharaoh says, I want to enslave them and keep them in the land. God has promised that there will be this ever-increasing and multiplying nation. And Pharaoh is saying, no, I will not let them grow and multiply. It's interesting, right? Slogans change. But we've seen this in recent history. Whether it is Adolf Hitler and his final solution, where it's communist China of one family one child policy, culture of death is always in opposition to a God who is the great life giver. And this is a significant problem that the people of God are facing and it doesn't feel like God is with them. This problem is just increasing and increasing, getting harder and harder. And what about us, oh God? How will the people of God respond in the face of adversary when everything in front of us looks bleak and hopeless, when the fulfillment of God's promises seem like a mirage to us? What will we do? I believe that the book of Exodus wants us to be reminded that everything that is coming against us, everything that you might feel in your life, God already has been working out His plan well before you get there. And we see this in this story. Because who chose the women? Who chose these midwives? Pharaoh does, right? Essentially, these are two uh, chief nurse officers. So they're not, just, they're, they're not just the only midwives. They've got midwives under them. They've got nurses under them. Okay? Pharaoh chooses them. But guess what? God already chose them. In fact, just look at their names. Shipra means beautiful one. And poor means splendid one. You see, Pharaoh has this grand plan and God has these few good women. And he's going to use them. He's going to work through their beautiful, splendid hearts that will say yes to life and no to death that will eventually allow a young deliverer named Moses to come to the forefront. They are beautiful. They are splendid. Verse 17 says, yeah, that's great, Pharaoh. You chose them to kind of go and do the whole thing. And here are these women. It says that these midwives feared God. They do not fear Yahweh. They are not for Yahweh. They do not serve Yahweh. They do not work for Yahweh. They work for God. And they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But they let the male children live. So the king of Egypt calls the midwives and says to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. And I love, I love this, this response. They're like, well, 
there's so many of them and it just takes so long to get there. You know, they're, they're just like, you know what it's like. There's, there's, there's thousands of them. They just keep breeding and they keep having children. By the time we get there, like old mate's already done and they've had him for a few weeks and like now we can't secretly work out how to, what do you want us to do? Because the Hebrew women are a lot like the Egyptian women for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives come to them. These women have dedicated their lives to this noble medical profession, which is dedicated in assisting life and comforting those who might experience death. And these few good women have the courage to stand up to this tyrant king who is all about death. They do not settle. Now the question becomes like, okay, well, they've lied. (laughs) Isn't that sin? good question. Is this sin? Different commentators say different things. But I'm going to tell you (laughs) that I think that there are moments in history and in time where civil disobedience is called upon for God's people to actually do a greater truth in spite of what might be. We've seen this, have we not, with the people such as Corey Ten Boom. who rescued her family, rescued and saved hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of Jews and multiple times would have lied and said, nobody is in our home. Nobody is hiding in our walls and in our basements. They are not there. And there's a sense in which to who deserves the truth. So one commentator puts it like this. It says, the tale that they told Pharaoh was not so much a lie as it was a glorious confession of their faith that they will tell the truth to Yahweh because he is worthy of it. And to you, who is bringing death, we will stand against you even if we have to conflate and kind of come up with this it's almost comical story. of Like, man, they just, they just, let's pump them out. Like, what, what do you want us to do? Like, like we, got, we got 24, 36-hour labors going over in Egypt. Like, these guys are like two hours, man, they're done. Like, what do you want us to do? This great and powerful tyrant king is no match for these so-called weak and powerless women. Why? Because these women are God-fearers. That's why. And anybody who fears the Lord is powerful and strong. Because Yahweh, God, is with those people. And he is powerful and strong. And they do not fear the king. They put their own lives at risk and see the perseverance of life. And so verse 30, what, what happens? So God deals with them well. Here's the promise. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God and not Pharaoh, the blessing is received by them. They get to have families and experience the joy of being a part of the multiplication of God's nation, God's people. And now this is the third time we have seen God's promises being fulfilled in and amongst all the problems. Problem promise. Problem promise. Problem promise. Problem, promise. What do the people of God need to hold on to through the problem is the promise. And the God that you and I serve, for those of you who are Christians, we don't just serve a promise maker, we serve a promise keeper. There are people in this church right now and you have lost jobs because of what we're going through. Here's the promise that God makes to his children that he will provide. 
We've seen it time and time and time again as people have lost occupations and things in our church family where God keeps coming through. And then those people like, like for ages in, in the valley in this moment, I was like, what's happening, Lord? And then all of a sudden God gives them something and they're like, man, I feel more blessed now than I did even before. You serve a wonderful God who knows your needs and promises that he will meet them. And as I wrap up, Does this story, for those of you who have been in church or might be Christians, remind you of one? Where there was a king named Herod who put out a decree that they would murder all the firstborn children. And there again was another good woman named Mary who had the privilege of being pregnant with the son of the living God. And who in a difficult time also had to give birth and then also had to find ways to preserve the life of this man. This young boy whose name would be Jesus. And that he would ultimately have his life preserved for a period of time so that one day he could offer that life up himself to not only save his people, but to save all people. That is you and that is me. And that future boy's name was Jesus. And if you're here and you are not a Christian, this is what it means to be a Christian. It means we trust in the promises of God who said he would save us if we would turn to him and trust in him that he will keep that promise. And this is what we do not just once, but this is what we do over and over and over as Christians. The Christian life is one of faith. And living by faith. And so no matter where you are today, I don't know where you're, where you're at. I don't know your story, but here's what I do know. God promises He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will provide for you. He will be your helper. He will be your comforter. He will be your strength. When you are weak, He will be strong. There are promise after promise after promise in this book that the book of Exodus is pointing us to to say that the same God that is in Exodus is the God that is here now for you and for me. Will you trust in His promises? Church, if you're a Christian, Today, as we take communion, put your faith back in this God. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, come and join us as we are people who seek not to be great, not to be good, not to be perfect, but to be people that trust this God. And He has proven that He is trustworthy because His Son has already come and died for us and rose again to give us new life. Amen? Amen. Let us pray as the band come up. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.